The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rocker. Good day, America. Welcome Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed too, the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution, not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S. occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and for Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns about, I hold to the book, the Bible. As the authoritative Word of God, glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you would like to check us out online, please do so. SonsofLibertyRadio.com and SonsofLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of the radio, you want to watch the video portion of the radio show. That's right. You can see the face that's made for radio. Head over to SonsofLibertyMedia.com. There you're going to see two videos at the top of the page. The one on the left side is Bradley's show from yesterday. So if you missed that, you'd like to catch it, you can do so up until 3 o'clock this afternoon at which time he'll be live in that area. Of course, you can always go over to our Rumble channel, Sons of Liberty Radio Live, where we are live now, and uh, you can catch it there if it's after 3 today. Okay, Right side of the page is where we're at. Click on that play button, blow it up on whatever device you got. Look for the Rumble icon that's in the bottom right-hand corner. Click on that, and you can join us in the chat. Got a lot of friends over there this morning, so good morning to you guys. Good to see you, and while you're there, please subscribe to that channel. Again, it's Sons of Liberty Radio Live on Rumble. We're also on BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page there. Appreciate those guys giving us a spot on their platform uh, also. And then back to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Be sure to sign up for our email newsletter. All the articles from SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, including the Morning Show Archive, like you see here. That was from yesterday that we talked about. Uh, So be sure and sign up for that. And um, we are highlighting, again, uh, Bradley's book that all the prophets were pointing to the front. Uh, that's available in our store. You can get there from SonsOfLibertyMedia.com by the menu that's at the top of the page, or you can go directly there at TheSonsOfLiberty.Squarespace.com. TheSonsOfLiberty.Squarespace.com. Uh, Bradley's book, All the Prophets Are Pointing the Front, $10. It's right there, right about middle ways down. Right up above that is the Soldier of the Cross book. So if you haven't got that, you want to get that, you can get it. It's also $10. Um, we also have the T-shirt that matches that, same artwork, and the Peter Muhlenberg quote on the back. That starts at $20, a little more if you got a double X or larger size shirt, but that's there. And then we have our bundle right at the top. You can get the shirt, the book, and the uh, the the dog tags in your color, black or silver. We should have did something like that, shouldn't we? We should have had a hat made with that little thing on it. And then we could say, you got the hat and the T-shirt. I mean, it's just, yeah, it's a pretty bad dad joke, wasn't it? Anyway, we could do that. Those are available in our store. The bundle starts at $34, depending on your shirt size. It'll go up. Uh, yeah, and then that's that. All right, so a couple of things I'm going to get out of the way here first. And I, I kind of want to talk about this Super Bowl thing. I, I know Bradley 
did some. We did uh, the ad for that, but I, I kind of want to speak to more of how the people that claim that they are the body of Christ, that they claim that they're Christians, how they're dealing with it. Uh, because the world's going to do what it's going to do, okay? It, it's just going to do what it's going to do. But, the, but those who name the name of Christ are supposed to do different than the world. We're in the world, but not of it, right? <clears throat> Before we get to that, how many of you guys saw this story about Mitch McConnell's sister-in-law? I think her name Angela Chow. Um, she's also a Chinese a Communist Chinese Party member. I think she came. I think she came over to the states, from what I understand. And um, apparently, she got in her Tesla and drove it backwards into a pond that was I don't know twenty feet deep or something, and drowned. Now, this is a very successful lady. Um, <clears throat> this happened. Gosh, the report I pulled from was February the 14th, so it's been over a week. And I don't know if many of you guys even heard it. It, uh, Even when you search for it, it's kind of like, I caught the New York Post, maybe there's some other people or whatever. It sounds fishy to me. It sounds like somebody got hacked. I mean, that's what it sounds like to me. The lady obviously would know how to drive the car. Why are you backing it? And some people have said that there's video of it. Well, I, I haven't seen the video of it yet, um, but I did get something that kind of, I don't know, piqued my interest here. This lady who is giving kind of the report on it, and then I went to the Washington, the Washington Times actually had a report on it too. But uh, take a listen to what this lady has to say. While at a private farm in Texas, she got into her Tesla, shut the door, put her seatbelt on, put the key in the ignition, put it into reverse and reversed backwards into a pond about 15 to 20 feet deep where she drowned. Who? Mitch McConnell's sister-in-law, full-blown member of the Chinese Communist Party, with whom, along with Mitch McConnell, benefited from their close ties to the CCP military-industrial complex. Apparently there's a video, I haven't seen it, I don't know if it's going around, and this happened about six days ago and nobody really talked about it. Angela Chow is a highly respected professional and the youngest of six daughters. She served as the CEO of Foremost Group, a well-known company based in New York that specializes in dry bulk shipping, calling it a vehicular collision with a pond going backwards in a Tesla electric car with electric chips that can be hacked, but I digress. She also served on the leading group of the Bank of China and is an overseer of the China's state shipbuilding partnership. Now they're being pretty hush hush about this. They're not naming the person of the ranch who owned the pond to which she backed her Tesla into. So you don't know whose whose ranch or whose pond it necessarily belongs to. Also not super forthcoming with the video. And it really didn't trend and really didn't get talked about. Remember when this happened? Was this an intentional consequence of being a longtime member of the CCP, or was it simply an accident? Hmm. Yeah, I, you know, the, the first thing I thought about was, oh, Mitch, did you, guys, did you guys see that guy's hands? Oh, my goodness. And somebody talked about it was, um, I think there was a nurse that spoke about what his hands looked like. I mean, they looked like he had that like a serious thing of this plaque psoriasis on his hands. That's what he looked like. If you guys saw some of the pictures uh, of him, and I, you know, I don't know if it's from the shot. I don't know if some people are roughing people up. I don't know what's going on. But it is kind of strange. Here's a lady. She's 50-something years old, I think, or she was. Uh, 
very intelligent, runs this company, does all this stuff. I just, we'll see what happens, but I don't know what we're going to hear. But um, like I say, this is over a week old. I just heard about it yesterday. So I threw it out there. I threw it out there. Again, the lady's name is Angela Chow, C-H-A-O. Um, and, um, yeah, it's you can read the, the article at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. You can go over that video if you need to do that as well. Also, I just wanted to hit this one, and then we're going to get into our topic. How many of you guys, this is another video. How many of you guys remember, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger used to be governor of California, right? <clears throat> and... Um, we got video here. First time I saw this, some of you may have seen it, where he spoke at Bohemian Grove in 2010. And it just makes the point that these guys are all selected. All of them. They're selected to be put up for the people, give the people the sensation that they're actually electing them, which you're not. And I'm, this is the part that really just, it just boggles my mind. Uh, is, the, is the Trump group... I, you guys know they're cheating. <laughs> you know they're cheating, and you just can't wait to go vote. I, I mean, is what's the disconnect here? What is the disconnect? I, I, I for life of me, I can't understand it. But this video here, you can see it at SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. Title of the article is, yep. Arnold Schwarzenegger was selected, not elected for governor. Here's his speech from 2010. Now, he served, I think, from 2003 to 2011. So this is, you know, just before uh, he goes out. But, you know, when we were out at uh, Red Peel <clears throat> in August, uh, you know, G. Edward Griffin's deal there, uh, we went out with, um, or, or I went out with um, Bob Sisson and his wife. You know Bob. Plumber Bob the Plumber. Um, we went out with uh, Alan Keyes, former ambassador under Reagan, and his wife, and Kate Shimrani joined us. And we were sitting there having lunch, and Alan began to share how he was invited to Bohemian Grove, and he was like, you know, I want no part of those guys. And he said, I'm sure it was a springboard to launch my career. He said, but yeah, I just, I knew what they were about, and I'm, I'm not going to have a part of it. But uh, all of these guys that go in, and any of you guys have seen some of the reports that came out, I think the big one was, gosh, it's been years and years ago, Alex Jones allegedly went into Bohemian Grove. And I say allegedly, I mean, he's kind of out in the open about things, and he's filming, and I'm thinking, in the back of my head, I'm going, you're filming all these guys, and I get it, there was some hidden cameras and stuff, but you're doing all that, and I guess this is before he got big or whatever, and, and you're doing it. Anyway. The point is, is you ought to check out that video. There's also a speech that he gave there, um, so you can hear all of that in its entirety. And uh, I'd encourage you to to check that out. Okay, I'm going to talk about the, you know, what's happened to the church. What has happened to the church? Now, our friend Charlie Stewart, uh, we had him on before. He's with uh, GodSendUsMen.com, and I like Charlie. I like him a lot because I think, boy, he from everything that I hear, <laughs> the direction of how he's taking things is very much where I want to go. So I'm I'm very interested in how you do that <clears throat> because I want to do that. Um, so anyway, he has talked about you know the word church 
Uh, I think maybe I'm going to do a show on this. I'm, I'm doing a little bit of reading on it. Um, but William Tyndale would not translate the word, the Greek word ecclesia or ecclesia, as some people pronounce it. He didn't translate, he wouldn't translate that word as church. And there was a reason, because in the ancient <clears throat> world, according to Charlie, <clears throat> The word church, as we would understand it, and there is a word that actually brings that about, was just a place of worship. It can be a pagan place of worship. It can be all of that. And so this is, and I got to thinking about it last night. This is why we always have to distinguish when we say we're going to the church building to have church. See, we're distinguishing, we're putting building in there to distinguish the people from the place they're meeting. And so... That's his point that he was making. He says we ought to be calling it the ecclesia. I just I like to refer to the church as the people of God, the assembly of God. That's that's how they're referred to. That's how Stephen refers to them in Acts chapter seven. He says the church was in the wilderness, and um, the church is supposed to be the light of the world. It's supposed to be the salt of the earth. That's what it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be the beacon and the pillar of the truth. It is to be the moral compass of society. It is to be that which preserves the culture. It really is. But is that what it's become today in America? Is that what it's become today in America? You know, our friend Chuck Baldwin wrote a piece, I, the churchy entity and stuff, it just kind of, I don't know. Makes me laugh. Anyway, this was it, Super Bowl uh, Churchianity. And I, I don't know that uh, you can see this on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com as well. Uh, you know, I don't... We, we get into that, and then... And I guess the message is directed at the church, like this one is here. Uh, this one is specifically to the people of God. And I'm going to tell you, guys, you name the name of Christ, but you depart, you continue in your sin... You're taking the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's not, you know, I, I used to hear it as kids. GD. Well, God is not his name. That's his title. Elohim. Adonai. That, it's a title. It's not his name. His name is Yahweh. Or, we, you know, we look at it as I am. That's his name. But the fact that you want to identify with him in some way, you want to talk about Jesus, you want to talk about God, you want to talk about all these things, but then you stay in your sin, you are taking his name in vain. Okay? You're taking it, you can have the cleanest mouth that you can have, but if you're living contrary to what you're professing, then you're taking his name in vain. I just want to, I want to, I want to let you know that's what's going on, and you need to repent. You need to quit doing that. Stop doing that. And obey him. So I'm just going to start off with Baldwin here, bring you a couple of things uh, out of his piece today, because it's, you know, the other, the other week I, I mentioned, um, yeah, you guys, I don't know what's up with the spammers who come in here. They see live and they want to do stuff. Anyway, I made mention of, um, yeah, Elevation Church and having a water slide baptism. That was my error. It, you know, gosh, it sounds like it could be legit. I'm going to tell you. Maybe that's why Babylon B does so well. And it was a Babylon B thing about a water slide baptism. So that was my error. I don't know if I corrected that or not. I think I did. 
uh, the next day. But if I didn't, I'm correcting it now. Why did that seem like it could have been? Because of some of the things they've done in the past. Some of the things they've done in the past. Let me, let me give you some of the things that Chuck Baldwin talks about here that churches are doing. He says, on Super Bowl Sunday, February 11th, tens of thousands of churches all over America shortened services. Now, I can remember back in the 70s, <clears throat> uh, I, can, I can remember down in the 70s, or back in the 70s, that when, because I was into sports when I was a kid, and so we would come home from church, and I'd turn on the television. I can still remember it was the Pittsburgh Steelers versus the Dallas Cowboys. Roger Stallback, Tony Hill. Where, where am I drawing even any of these names right now? It's just beyond me. It's been so long since I've even spoke their names. Um, but they were playing the Super Bowl, and I see, like, I don't know, the last quarter, last half, or something like that, and we would do that. But it was, it was never at the expense of going and being with the people of God and hearing the Word of God. We didn't have Super Bowl parties. We didn't do stuff like that. We recognized that that, wasn't, that had nothing to do with what we were doing there. And so now it's to the point where people will just stay home from being with the people of God, they'll, or they'll, uh, they'll, they'll make the church worldly by bringing the game into the church. We're going to see some of that in just a second. And then what I want to contrast that with is genuine believers. Because I couldn't believe, I, I just, I, I couldn't believe what I was seeing here in this video that I'm going to show you in just a little bit. He said, tens of thousands of churches all over America shortened services, canceled services altogether, or turned their worship services into mock Super Bowl miniatures. Walk into thousands of pastors' offices or studies across our country, and you will witness a museum or altar dedicated to their favorite football team. I, you, you know what? It's enough for me that a church has flags in their church, like American flags, even Christian flags. I, I don't see any of that in Scripture. I think it's idolatry. I'm just going to tell you, I think it's idolatry. It has no business in the place of the worship of God. It has no business in there. Jerseys, sweatshirts, helmets, banners, flags, mascots, big and small, pictures of coaches and players, logos on coffee mugs, pins, hats, scarves, and anything and everything that has space for their team's trademark. You'll quickly ascertain that hundreds or even thousands of dollars have been spent by these quote-unquote pastors for all of the football paraphernalia that occupy space in their studies. Yeah. Yeah, they know more about the game than they do the Word of God, don't they? That's why they're doing the stupid crap that they're doing. And I do call it crap. Paul would say dung. Other people would use another expletive. But it's the same thing. It's garbage. It's refuge. One can only imagine what their homes look like. I tell you, we don't have New Testament Christianity in America today. We have Super Bowl churchianity. We don't even have Super Bowl churchianity. That's just a symptom of it. That's one of many of these things. We've got the, inter the guys who come in and say, we need the interpretive dance. And then you've got the guys who come in and say, we need the movies. And then we've got the guys who come in and... I just... I'm out of breath when I even think about it. They come in and they have pole dancers and... Seriously, driving motorcycles down the aisles. There's a church down the road here. Um, I'm trying to think of what it was called. I forget the name of the church. 
but I think it was down off of Interstate 85 in South Carolina here. It's not restoration. It might be. I'm, I'm not sure. But they used to have this thing. Every time you pass by it, they had their rapture thing. It was like a big presentation, a big production that they did. And they had motorcycles in there and all this stuff telling the people a fantasy about being raptured from their responsibility to do what God has called them and, you know, all the left-behind stuff and everything else. They think that is preaching the gospel. It's not. It's not that at all. A couple of things. Their church, uh, the Baldwin mentioned, and I think... Yeah, this is tied with the video I'm going to show you here a second. I just, you know, Crossroads Church, Cincinnati, Ohio, is the church I'm going to show you here in a second. If there's anybody who has attended that church or you're around it, you need to go warn those guys. I mean, they're asking. They're asking for God just to bring the hammer down on, their, on them. They're asking for it. And you're going to see why in just a second. I, I mean, I, I have never seen something out of professed Christians that, well, I, I can't say I'm shocked because when I start thinking back, I think about Jerry Falwell Jr. and his swinging wife and him being a swinger and all this other stuff. And I think about some of these guys, what they've done, Ravi Zacharias and having the massage parlors all over the world. And then, you know, now he's found out about that. Now, I think about some of the things that get said in the search. It just sickens me because it, it, I'm just like, man, do you realize? Look, I have enough I'm going to answer for that I don't want to answer for, but I am going to give an answer for it, and so are you. And I think of what these guys do right out in the open in front of everybody, where they're leading them. They're leading them to hell is what they're doing. They're leading them to the judgment of God is what they're doing. This is from Pastor Baldwin's thing. He he quotes uh, the source here, which is winepress.com. Crossroads Church in Cincinnati, Ohio, performed their annual over-the-top Super Bowl-themed sermon. Can you even call it a sermon? I guess they are preaching a gospel. It's just a different gospel, which damns them and that gospel and the hearers of that gospel. When the church staff and congregants participate in a service that's loosely framed as a four-quarter football game, but with preaching and inspirational messaging. Hmm. Though its home base of operations is in Cincinnati Crossroads, excuse me, in Cincinnati, Crossroads has a number of established smaller church plants throughout Ohio and Kentucky, totaling around 40,000 active members. Each and every year, Crossroads hosts their Super Bowl of preaching, and though they say they are not aftershock value... The marketing and presentations definitely say otherwise. I agree. I'm just blown away. I really am. In 2014, Crossroads released a promo building anticipation for their Super Bowl of preaching featuring a Bible getting intimate in bed with a football. (laughs) Man. I don't know about you. I... I feel like going 
and spiritually knocking some heads over junk like that. What in the world? A Bible getting intimate in bed with a football? Boy, it reminds me of that Jezebel out of Revelation uh, that God warns them about. She leads the people into spiritual adultery. And I'm assuming with spiritual adultery comes real adultery too. I mean, a physical adultery. Not that spiritual adultery isn't real adultery. This year's service featured a very elaborate entrance by the participating participating players in a wild stage entrance featuring hype music, confetti, a band, contestants running through a cheering crowd carrying spicy casserole. What? (laughs) And just like before, the pastors on stage kicked the Bible like a football, only this time it appeared to be a squib kicking, a squib kick trying to recover an onside kick, resulting in the pastors diving for the Bible in a scrum. Moreover, that you, I just can't believe this. <laughs> Moreover, the halftime mid-sermon featured music by Usher, ACDC, Toby Keith, and a pastor, which I'm sure it's a woman. Again, I you know I just I don't believe women ought to be in authority in that in that manner. And we've got these male. As soon as you see a man and his wife as and they're called both pastors, just get away from it. Okay, there's the error right there. The woman was deceived first. I'm not capping on women. Women are, can be smart and funny and intelligent and all these other things. But the fact of the matter is, God says they were deceived first. The man wasn't deceived. The woman was deceived. The man just knew exactly what he was doing. Adam did. We fall into that line. But here's what, here's what this pastor did. Pastor recreating Miley Cyrus's viral wrecking ball music video. Now, I haven't seen the video, but I did see stuff when it came out because it caused a big stink. And I'm pretty sure she didn't have no clothes on riding a wrecking ball or it was something close to that. <clears throat> this is a professed Christian pastor in a professed church. It is not the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And this woman, I'm, I'm assuming it's a woman. If it's a guy, it's even worse These people here are not Christian. They're not. Oh, you're judging them. I'm telling you, their fruit tells you they're anything but that. If they're doing this on stage, in the name of Christ, what are they doing in their houses? What are they doing in private? you got to stop and think about that. If they are so emboldened to be this worldly, in the quote-unquote worship of God, and it's not the worship of God, it's the worship of self. That's what it is. What are they doing at home? What are they doing in their bedroom? And we're seeing it come out. We saw it with Hillsong. We see the sodomites coming out. We see the lesbians coming out. We see the debauchery and the degeneracy that comes out of these people. And I'm not saying that there haven't been some songs that might even be close to biblical. But the fact of the matter is, the person's doing it. Oh, my goodness. What are we to do? We're to expose that. Ephesians 5.11. We're to expose the works of darkness and reprove them. Guys, at at Crossroads Church, you are in desperate need of repentance. You're in desperate need to know the Savior and to have a born-again experience that only God can give. You're in desperate need of that. You think you're clean from your sin, but you're still filthy. You're still dead in them. And you're demonstrating it. 
This is not an error, by the way. This is, what I'm fixing to show you is not an error. It is apostasy. Remember I told you guys about this book here. I've got it sitting on my candle here. You need to get that. Apostasy from the Gospel, John Owen. It's a little it's a little Puritan paperback. It's a little small thing. Yeah, you can see through it because it's green right here. Uh, and I've got a green screen, so it's not going to You need to get that. I'm serious. If you want to know what leads people to apostasy, I mean, Owen lays it out. And you know one of the first things he says that leads it there? Sexual sin. Sexual immorality. Why did Paul tell us to flee it? Boy, that's the one that'll get people real quick, won't it? Adam Clark, I've got three of his commentaries up on my shelf here. He was a Methodist minister of 17... He lived from 1762 to 1832. And Baldwin cites this from Pastor Clark. Protestantism may have its antichrist as well as popery. Now, I can testify to that already. There are Baptist churches in South Carolina that you go in the front door and they got their little pool with their holy water. And then you go in and they have all of what they call the gospel message on their, on their stained glass windows and going up to the front and then they have their little, their pulpit draped. I mean, it's Roman to the core. It really is. And a friend of mine uh, he was like, what's all this about? Because he came out of Roman Catholicism. What is all this about? And it, but he saw it for what it was. He said, they're going towards Rome. That's exactly what they're doing. They're going towards Rome. But here's the thing. So are a lot of Christians in putting their feet to a certain doctrine, especially the doctrine of your free will. And, and it's different than... What most of you might think of choice, we make choices. We do make choices. There's no, I'm not going to take that away from you. We make choices. We're the ones, how can we be held responsible for not making those choices? We are. But this idea of free will, that our will is, let me ask you a question. I don't want to get too sidetracked on this, but it, who is really free in the whole matter? God is free. God is the free one. He has the free will. But even in his free will, let me ask you something. Can God sin? No. Well, then, in, in the modern understanding of free will, it's, well, we have to have the ability to sin and to do good. That's the way they present it, don't they? Don't they present it that way? Well, if you just acknowledge that God is free, why can't he sin? Because it's not in his nature to sin. It's not in his nature to sin. It's not. Give that some thought. Here's the quote. Protestantism may have its antichrist as well as popery. Every man who opposes the spirit of the gospel and every teacher and writer who endeavors to lower the gospel standard to the spirit and taste of the world is a genuine antichrist. No matter where or among whom he is found. Wow. Yep. 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 If you guys want to know why... I laid it out about Donald Trump and the spirit of Antichrist. That's it. That is exactly it. A lowering of the standard, a taste of the world, 
a rejection of the gospel, that is the spirit of Antichrist. It really is. So let me show you what this church did. Many of you have probably seen the video, okay? But I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to contrast it. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to contrast it with real Christianity here in a second. I just, I, I can't believe what I'm seeing here. I just, I'm seeing it. And it sends shivers. I'm getting them now. I, it just shivers that people would do this. I, this is the kickoff. And they're not kicking a football. They're kicking the Bible. Now, everything in me that's redneck, and I'm talking about a holy redneck, wants to go wring somebody's necks. That's what I want to do when I see this. I just, here it is. Patterson back with the kick. In each quarter, preachers will be given a random phrase that they must effectively work into their message. And my understanding is these are completely random. They have never seen them before, seriously. You know what's well, hey folks, time to meet our players. Let's head down to the field for today's starting lineups. The myth, the legend, Brian Cole. For Team Mingo. And look at the goats sitting in the audience, just eating it up. Because that's what goats do. They eat the garbage. It, uh... Yeah, let's just go with tails. Would you like to kick or receive the Bible? I will receive. Tome wins the toss, chooses to receive the Bible. Patterson back with the kick. Oh my goodness! Whoa. Is that a touchback? Can you Golly. even get a touchback? First time in 18 years there's a touchback for the kickoff. I just... How? How did the church of Jesus Christ, the one persecuted by kings and governors, by wicked men, putting to death in some of the most horrible ways to put some people to death, bearing witness of the righteousness of God that comes apart from the law, and bearing witness to His law as well, and to His Son, Jesus Christ, who was crucified, dead, and buried, and has ascended to the Father and sits on the throne and will judge all men. How did that go to what you just saw and heard, if you're on the radio, if you heard it? How does that do that? Now, let me contrast that with real Christianity. I'm going to give you a couple of videos. They're little short ones. These people took a Bible. Guy holds it up on his little fake field, and the chick with her shiny shoes goes and kicks it. I'm going to show you two videos. Chinese people. You're being taught to hate Chinese people. Now, I'm, I'm for dealing with spies and all these crooks that they have. I'm for dealing with them. But the Chinese people are just like any other people. Yet they've been indoctrinated. They've been raised in that environment. I get it. But they're people made in the image of God too. And I want you to see Chinese people 
when they come in contact with their first Bible. And you guys on the radio, I'll try to narrate it a little bit for you. This is Chinese people receiving their first Bibles. They open up a suitcase full of Bibles and they kiss it. They kiss the Bible. Look at them. They treasure it. They don't treat it like a pigskin because they haven't had one. Whatever Bibles they've had have been passed around by pages. They memorize them. This happens in a lot of communist countries, by the way. They memorize them. So if they get a page, they are thrilled to death. And here are these Chinese believers. They're weeping and they're kissing the Bible. you get to a place where you take the Word of God so lightly that you can literally kick it around? How do you do that? That's not the only one. I want to show you another one. This is also... Chinese believer. I, I'm not sure. I, I think this has a little bit different footage in it. It may contain some of the other, but this one's a little longer. And if you're a believer out there, I just want you to stop and think. Do you cherish your Bible the way these people do? Or has it been sitting on your shelf so long it's got so much dust you could write damned on the front of it with your finger? Here's some more Chinese believers, and they receive their Bibles for the first time as well. This is some of the same people I told you before. Sorry. Let me, let me move up just a little bit. I like to see this. I, I'm not going to even move it up. I, I like to see that there are people who love the Word of God. They love it. And again, this is some of the same. This is the same footage you saw just a minute ago, except there's an extended version where you can see some of these the other people here in what they're doing. And I, I remember the lady said, "This is what we needed the most: the Bible." This is the most dangerous book in the world. Hang on, let me. You know, kings and dictators spend a lot of time and have spent a lot of time burning it, banning it, basically just trying to hide it from people. In university, they teach that it's a dusty old book full of mythology and stories. But what does God say? Well, God says, first of all, that this book is alive. You know, think about it. It exposes all of Satan's schemes Amen. and everything he's doing. Uh, God says that this thing is like a sword. It cuts through flesh and goes right into the spirit of man. Everywhere it goes, it smuggles life to the dead and dying. It brings Jesus. Basically, it is spiritual fertilizer. Everywhere this thing goes, life springs up. Now look at this video of Chinese seminary students. They're, these guys are receiving their first Bible. And you know, the Bible was banned for decades in China, but what do you see? They know the value of this book. They know it brings life. 
And that's why we fight those who are trying to strangle the church around the world by banning or burning or blocking the Bible. That simple sentence defines our actions. So think of it this way. Look, if a government says Christian kids can't have the Bible, that's what we're going to do. We're going to send in Christian kid Bibles and teaching materials. Amen. Adults can't have a Bible. That's resistance we'll to tyranny, folks. We'll do either physical or digital Bibles. If a persecuted believer can't read, we're going to send in audio Bibles. And in the end, look, if a government destroys one Bible, then we're going to send in 10. You know, we have an immediate need for $117,000. And first off, we want to get thousands of Bibles into Egypt for Christian kids. And then we also want to send thousands of Bibles into Vietnam. And probably the thing I'm most excited about is we want to double the broadcast or radio broadcast of the gospel into North Korea. Governments and religions are working around the clock to keep this book from getting into the hands of the dead and dying. And I think that's wrong, and I think you probably do too. So I want to ask you, would you join with us? Let's get the Word of God into the hands of the dead and dying and into the hands of persecuted believers so that they can grow and tell those around them Amen. that there's life and there's hope, and it's found in Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's Jeff King. He's the president of International uh, Christian Persecution, I think you can go to persecution.org. This is the guy, gosh, what was the guy's name? Uh, that he suffered so much bringing Bibles into communist countries and stuff. I can't remember what is it, Richard something. I, I forget his name. Anyway, he was the guy who started all that. So do you see, actually, it might be different. It might be different. I thought it said persecution.org there at the first. But do you see the difference that those guys had towards the Bible and the American church? The modern church. I'm, I'm not saying the church at large. Look, Jesus gave his life for the church, for the pe- for his people. Let, let me, let me, I, I, this is a place where there's some, I think there's some repentance I need in my, in my speech on this too. Jesus gave his life for his people. His people are the assembly of God. They are what we call the church, the ecclesia. And for people like Ohio Church, Crossroads Church, to demean the work of Christ by kicking the Word of God that contains that message, and to be so worldly that you will you will try to make the Word of God fit in. Oh my goodness. We got to go. We got to go to scripture here. We got to go to scripture here. Matthew chapter seven. Oh, this is one that all the sodomites like. All those who love their sin like. They like to quote it, but they have no idea what the context is. Judge not, lest you be judged. Have you heard that? I mean, you just come to somebody and you're saying, "Brother, I, th- I think this this is going to harm you." Look, the Bible says this, and you show them. Oh, you're just judging me. You ever had anybody do that stuff? Yeah, I have. Why are, you, why are you judging me? I'm not your judge. Okay, for the record, I'm not your judge. Yet I make judgments, and so do you. We make particular judgments about things, whether it's right or wrong, good or bad, right? We make judgments about that every single day. All of us do. No, your judge has already spoken. And he's going to judge you by those words on the day of judgment. And all we're doing, as those who believe the judge's word, is we're relaying his message so that you don't encompass his wrath 
but rather you come under his mercy in Jesus Christ who gave himself for sinners. If you don't want to do that, then you're proving that you are not one of his. You are not a sheep. You are a goat. You are those, those branches that are cut off and set to be burned. That's what you are. And by the way, so was I. I was set for that. But God, whew, Ephesians 2, who is rich in mercy, quickened me. Just like he quickened many of you. You know what I'm talking about. I, I can't explain it. Something happens outside of us. When the seeds of that word is planted in our hearts. But I want you to see something. He goes right on and he says this, For with what judgment ye judge, ye shall be judged. Let me ask you, sodomites. Let me ask you, pimping politicians with your vaccines and other people who want to say, oh, you guys are liars and it's fake news and blah, blah. Let me ask you something. Is the measure that you're judging with, is it a straight stick or a crooked stick? Because it's going to come back and it's going to slap you too. And it's going to be far worse for you. And with what measure ye meet, it shall be measured to you again. And why beholdest thou the mote in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? Well, Tim, see, there it is right there. You've got this big beam in your eye. You know what? I've had some beams in my eye. There's no question. I've had some specks too, and I've had some dust and everything else in my eyes. There's, there's no question about that. But that's not where the text ends. Look at what it says next. Or how wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the moat out of thine eye when, behold, the beam is in thine own eye. He tells you how to deal with it. Thou hypocrite, first cast out the beam out of thine own eye. So you deal with yourself, you go before God, you confess your sin, you deal with whatever the moat is, the beam is in your own eye, and then shalt thou shalt see clearly. When you deal with your own sin, you can see clearly to cast out the moat out of thy brother's eye. You can see clearly for it once you deal with yours. It doesn't say never make a judgment. That's not what Jesus says at all. The context is there. And this is the, he goes down, I'm going to jump down here just a little bit. The context deals with this, knowing men by their fruits, all of this kind of stuff. And then he gets down to where it becomes apparent, where you see the fruits. Okay? And so let me see if I can, um, I'll, I'll grab it from where it starts here, and we'll go through the end of the chapter. Matthew chapter 7, if you're on the radio, you want to follow along in your Bible. Matthew chapter 7, verses fi verse 15 and following to the end of the chapter. Here's what he says. Beware of false, and again, all of this is about judgment. It's about what the fruit that one is producing. That's what the whole context has been. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. And again, 2 Peter chapter 2, you'll get a good picture of what a false teacher is. Deuteronomy 13, Deuteronomy 18 for false prophets. You shall know them by their fruits. Who's he talking about? He's talking specifically about false prophets. Those who come and tell you, thus saith the Lord, blah, 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 blah. You shall know them by their fruits. Not by their words, but by their fruits. You can take their words and you can hold them to that but by the fruits. Do men gather grapes or thorns or figs of thistles? No, they don't do that. I mean, the grapes on my vine don't have any thorns. The figs on my fig tree out back doesn't have any thistles. Even so, 
Every good now these are the words of the Lord Jesus. Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. What kind of tree are you? Do you examine yourself and say, Lord, am I, show me, am I bringing forth bad fruit? Am I deceiving myself? Or am I really in the kingdom and I'm really bringing forth fruit? And by the way, it doesn't have to be exponential fruit somewhere. Jesus said 30, 60, 100 fold. So there's different levels of fruit. I mean, we see it even in our trees. Some trees produce a lot. Some trees produce a little, but they're all producing fruit. It's evident that they're producing fruit. And listen, if, if the living God has put his seed in you, he's put Christ in you, the spirit of God in you, why are you not bearing fruit? You cannot help but bear fruit. You can't help it. It's, it's the most natural thing to happen when a person is born again. It's the most natural thing. It's not unnatural, and it is supernaturally empowered, but it's the most natural thing for someone who believes the gospel to bear fruit. It's natural. He goes on and he says, But every tree that bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Now again, I'm, I'm not going to get off on a tangent here, but if you do a word study on the word hell, you're going to find that it's used for a number of different things. It's used for the grave. It's used for the, the trash dump outside of uh, um, Jerusalem. And I think that's really, when he talks, he uses the word Gehenna. It's translated as hell. I think that's what he's using to symbolize what's going to come on when he talks about their destruction uh, and hell and stuff like that in the New Testament with it. I think when he's addressing like Matthew 24, that's what he's talking about. You're going to find, you're gonna, all you people are going to find yourself right down there in the trash dump because of your rebellious, rebelliousness towards God. And then he says this, and I, I got to tell you, Matthew chapter 7, this end part right here, is one of the most sobering texts to me that I've had in all my life. It's one of the most sobering texts. And we probably would do well to read this text in its context at least once a week, if not every day. At least remember it in our minds. It comes to my mind virtually every day. He says, verse 21, Not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. All right. You guys have heard me talk about James chapter 2. Say and see. You will hear somebody say they have faith. I will show you my faith by my works. And again, I, you know, I think, look, Martin Luther discovered, rediscovered a great truth in, the, in, in um, justification by faith alone. I, he rediscovered that. Men had had it before. Uh, Jan Hus and, and such had been persecuted for, for discovering the same things. But Martin Luther got the credit for that. He did it. What does Jesus say here? Not the one who, you're using this, but the one who does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Hmm. The people with the mouth say, Lord, 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 we know you. But it's the one who does the will of the Father. And then he says this, verse 22, 
Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in thy name? Have we not preached in your name? I mean, we, we got the Bible up there and we, we preached in your name. <sighs> Violation of the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. He won't hold you guiltless for doing that, nor me. But here's what he says. Have we not prophesied in thy name? And in thy, this one gets me, and in thy name have cast out devils? Were they deceiving themselves? Were they really doing it? Were, was God empowering them to do it, to just keep them in their delusion? I don't know. But they claimed that they cast out devils. And in thy name done many wonderful works. Works. Now, no man is saved by works. No man at all. But here's what happens when I bring this subject up. I always have these people go, but we're not saved by works. Why are you talking about works? Friend, listen to me very carefully. If you do not produce fruit, which is your works, it is, that's in the same context here. If your fruit, your works, do not bear out what you claim about Jesus has done for you, then you're a false prophet. You are giving false testimony about Christ. Because you're still in your sin, you still love your sin, but you've just tacked Jesus over the top of it. I want to tell you, you know, I'm willing to give anybody who claims and they give a little evidence, they've got a little boldness about them to do these things. And I keep reserve on it until I see. I watched Kanye West come out with his Jesus album and he's a professed Christian. And then he gets, you know, divorced from the chick he's with, now he's with some other chick, and again, I can't help it, I'm not going looking for it, but when I bring up my my browser to set up the show, all these news stories, and the majority of them I showed you the other day, are entertainment stories, which just boggles my mind, who's interested in that, what, I, but anyway, uh, I'm going to go over just a little bit, I didn't even realize the time ran out, but Kanye has his wife half-naked run around in these parties. How is that Christian? It's not. Bradley be with you at 3. We'll see you in the morning with Kate Shimrani, 8 a.m., and we're going to carry over sonsoflibertymedia.com if you want to catch it. All right. want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. And, um, yeah, I just, it, it boggles my mind. It really boggles my mind. So they tell the Lord this, and then listen to his response. This isn't my response. This is the Lord's. Then I will profess to them, I never knew you. I never knew you. Now that term, this, this new, look, God knows all things. So it isn't that he doesn't have them in his mind, that he doesn't have an understanding of who they are or any of this. But all throughout the Old Testament, when you read that a man knows his wife. What is that? Well, that's an intimate relationship that nobody else in the world has with that woman, just the husband. He knows his wife in ways, and it's not, I don't think it's just, I mean, it's used to speak of a sexual relationship, don't get me, because usually it, it results in children, right? But 
It grows more than that. You know who that person is. You're intimate with them. You know their likes, their dislikes. You know, uh, you know how to settle a dispute with them, any of this kind of stuff. And he says, I didn't know you. It's not that he didn't have them in their mind. He said, I didn't have a relationship with you. You're not my son. You're not my daughter. You're a goat. And then he says this. Not that he didn't just know them. He says, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Or in some translations, it is practice lawlessness. I think that probably explains best to us what he's accusing them of. You're telling me that you love me. You're telling me you did all these quote-unquote good things. But in the end... You are those who practice your lawlessness. You practice your wickedness. You practice your evil. Oh, you'll tack Jesus on and you'll tack God on while you're fornicating with your girlfriend or your boyfriend. You'll tack Jesus on while you're committing adultery. You'll tack Jesus on while you're stealing from your boss his time or his money. You'll talk about Jesus while you're out, you know, just getting drunk as a skunk with your buddies. You'll talk about Jesus while you're, you're, you're professing your error and your heresies all over the place. Or while you're kicking a Bible on a fake football field. You'll, protect, you'll, you'll, protect, uh, you'll pro- uh, protest how much you love Jesus while you're spitting in His face. Verse 24, Therefore, whosoever heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them, I will liken unto him a wise man which built his house upon the rock. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell not, and it was founded upon a rock. For it was founded upon a rock. Now, there's a picture here of Amon, Jordan. I mean, it you can, you can have a place where, look, if you go down to the beach, I haven't been to the beach in a long, long time, but uh, when I used to go, we used to go out, you know, down on the beach, and we'd walk for miles, you know, get sunburned, because we were stupid, and we were doing stupid things. We were doing evil and wicked things, is what we were doing, but we would do that, and I remember going out on right, you know, where the ocean is, and you would have all these houses that are built there. And I used to be fascinated with them because these houses were sitting up on these, look like they're stilts, but they're like telephone poles right there on the oceanfront. You know, they're 15 or 20 feet off the ground. And I used to look at those things going, how are those things standing? This is sand. Look, I've been on the thing I've, I've made. I've been on the beach. I've made sand castles with the kids. And, you know, as a kid, I did it and played in, it in that soft sand that's there and it you can stick your hand way down in there especially when it gets wet and i'm like what did they do to this well they go down there and that foundation that you don't see is pretty hefty lots of concrete some people use steel and rebar in it but they use a lot of concrete so that they got a good solid foundation to put those stilts in so they could build a house so that it will stand up okay jesus says the wise man is like that Except he's not pouring concrete. He digs down in the dirt. Now there's a there's a there's a picture here. He's building on a rock. And so he has to scrape away the dirt, 
get rid of anything that's going to be soft till he finds a rock. And then he begins to build. He builds on a solid foundation. And you guys see where I'm going? The church's one foundation is Jesus Christ our Lord, as the old song goes. Ephesians 4, the gifts of the Spirit are given. The apostles and the prophets, that's the foundation. Old Testament, New Testament, that's the foundation. If you start with anything other than the Scriptures, you are not building on rock. You are building on sand. And the trials of life and the temptations are going to show you what your foundation is. Look at what it says. Bills on the rock, the rain descended, the floods came, the winds blew and beat upon that house, and it fell not. For it was founded upon a rock. So he takes a simple scenario. Nobody goes out there and just slaps up a house on the sand on the beach. Why? Because it's going to erode within a couple of days, and the house is going to be washed out to sea. They build on a rock. Verse 26, And everyone that heareth these sayings of mine and doeth them not shall be likened to a foolish man which built his house upon the sand. And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat upon that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. Great was the fall of it. And notice how the people responded. It came to pass when Jesus said these sayings, the people were astonished at his doctrine or his teaching. Doctrine is not a four-letter word. It's a good word. For he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. They, they hearkened to what he was saying. It was that serious. What's your foundation on? Is it on the same thing these, these knuckleheads up here at, at Crossroads uh, Church is that the foundation that you have? Do you think that's just fine? Uh, you're in need of repentance, friend. You're in need of repentance, a deliverance from your own sin. These people aren't preaching the Word of God. They're preaching their fairy tales. They're preaching their lusts. That's what they're preaching. And what does the Bible say about things like that? Hmm. Let's go to Jeremiah chapter 23, beginning at verse 25. I have heard what the prophet said, that prophesy lies in mine. And by the way, a, a false prophet is not somebody necessarily has to be in a pulpit. You guys remember Simon out of uh, uh, the book of Acts? He was a false prophet too. Went down there, got himself baptized by Philip. Comes up there thinking that Peter, oh, Peter, we're going to have a revival. I'm going to learn something from Peter. Peter, give me what you got, man. I want the Spirit. I want to be able to do what you guys are doing. And Peter knows what Simon's all about, and he says, your money perish with you. Because you thought the Holy Spirit could be bought with money. Come on, dude. What's the matter with you? Showed his heart, didn't it? And then Simon goes, wait for it. These are the words. Pray for me. Pray for me. Simon had just taken the Lord's name in vain. He'd been baptized, claiming that he's with Christ, and now he's wanting to buy the Holy Spirit. Pray for me. Not, I'm sorry, I need to go repent and confess to the Lord. 
No, pray for me. Pray for me, Peter. Mm-hmm. I've heard what the prophet said, that prophesy lies in my name, saying, I have dreamed. I have dreamed. Boy, we got a bunch of that junk going on today, don't we? Uh-huh. People that claim they're Christian, they have a dream. They have a dream. Look, if you have a dream, what, is, what does he tell you here? Watch, watch, what G, watch what the Lord says through Jeremiah in this. How long shall this be in the heart of the prophets that prophesy lies? Yea, they are prophets of their own uh, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. Oh, they are prophets of the deceit of their own heart. What are you told today? What are your kids told today in the movies and the music and everything else that they, the books that they get? What are they told? Trust your heart. Just trust your heart. The Bible warns against that, trusting your heart. It really does. He goes on and he says, which think to cause my people to forget my name by their dreams, which they tell every man to his neighbor, as their fathers have forgotten my name for Baal. Hmm. What have you forgotten God's name for? Football, basketball, baseball, work, politics, money. What, what have you forgotten the name of the word for, uh, the name of the Lord for? And he says, is not my word like a fire, saith the Lord, and like a hammer that breaketh the rock in pieces? His word's different than the false prophets. The false prophets make men feel comfortable in their sin. The word of God challenges and convicts men of their sin. And it points them to the righteousness that is outside of them, which comes from the Lord. Therefore, behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that steal my words every one from his neighbor. Behold, I am against the prophets, saith the Lord, that use their tongues and say, he saith. They're, they're putting words in God's mouth. If you want to know why either Bradley or I get upset when people put words in our mouth, that's why. I had people putting words in my mouth who should know better and they didn't just do it in the chat. They did it on their Facebook pages and other, saying, I said, aborted babies go to hell. I never said anything like that. I got people wanting to put words in my mouth about other things that I say, and I, I didn't say that. If I misspoke at times, I'll own that and I'll correct it. But I never said any of that stuff. How do you think the Lord feels and what he thinks about you saying things that he never said, you justifying sins he never justified. What do you think he thinks about that? I can tell you he doesn't think very much of it. He doesn't think very much of it. These people are playing these games, and it's really not a game. They're playing with their eternal soul. Like at Crossroads Church and other churches, this isn't the only place. I'm not trying to pick on those guys. But gosh, I'd love to see you guys at Crossroads repent and turn from your sin. Quit. Look, whatever you use to draw the crowds is what you're going to have to use to keep them. If you're going to use worldly entertainment to draw your crowd, you're going to have to use a worldly gospel, which is no gospel. It's a damned gospel. Read Galatians chapter 1. It's anathema. And you're making yourself anathema by preaching it. That's what's going to happen. 
That's exactly what's going to happen. Instead, what are you to do? I call you to repentance. Stop doing what you're doing over there. Now I'm telling you what you should do. Listen, 2 Timothy chapter 3. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. And this was already happening there in Paul's day. They are in the last days of the Old Covenant. And he says, men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, uh, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power thereof. He says, from such, turn away. He goes and gives some Old Testament accounts of Janus and Jambres, and they're withstanding Moses, and they resist the truth. That's not all. Remember, he's challenging Timothy. Timothy is his son in the faith, so to speak. Paul, had, Paul thinks very highly of Timothy. And, um, and by the way, somebody said I'm ashamed of my name. I'm not ashamed of any of my name. My first name, Charles. Yeah, I was given a hard time about that. Obviously, Charlie Brown. I can laugh at it now. It's not a big deal. I was named after a Christian missionary to Indonesia. Spent many years over there ministering to Muslim people. I'm not ashamed of my name. Timothy. Timotheus. I'm not ashamed of my name. It's tied right to the scripture there. But I do recognize when people are being sarcastic with it, so I just thought I'd throw that in there. This is from the next chapter, 2 Timothy chapter 4. What should these people be doing instead of kicking a Bible on a fake football field entertaining the goats. And yes, I'm saying the goats. The Bible says there's goats. There's sheep and there's goats. And Jesus came to lay his life down for the sheep, not the goats, the sheep. Paul tells Timothy, I charge thee be, therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead, the living and the dead, at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. What word? What are you talking about? Well, we call it the Bible. Your Old and New Testaments. Not just the New Testament, not just the Old Testament, the whole counsel of God. You're to preach the Word. And then he says this, Be instant in season and out of season. Reprove, rebuke, and exhort. Look at this. With all longsuffering. Ugh. And doctrine. Many preachers get frustrated because they preach and preach and they teach the same. And it's like the people just keep going on doing what they're doing. Paul says, you do all of this, you preach that word with long-suffering and doctrine, sound teaching. And why does he tell them to do this? He tells us in the context, verse 3, verse 3. Why do you do, why do you preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine? Because, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. They won't endure right teaching. But after their own lusts 
shall they heat to themselves teachers having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Now, I got to tell you, this is where I see a lot of people just get lost in the weeds. They just go right off. They start finding little things, and then they start going off into areas, you know, genealogies and weird stuff, and that's what they get hung up on. It, dry, it doesn't drive them to Christ. It doesn't make them become holy. It doesn't conform to the image of Christ. It doesn't do any of that stuff. Many of them get in these Jewish fables and all this other stuff that the Bible says stay away from. And that's what they want to get into. And then he tells Timothy this, verse 5, But watch thou in all things, endure afflictions. Do the work of an evangelist. Make full proof of thy ministry. You know, Timothy was set aside by the presbytery. They laid their hands on him. They recognized his gift that he had. It was evident in him. And they set him apart for gospel ministry. And Paul encourages him, do the work of the evangelist. Carry the gospel message to those around you. Make full proof of thy ministry. And then Paul gives sort of his swan song, you know, I'm, I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I'm going to be a drink offering, this kind of thing. And he wants to leave Timothy with an encouraging word. You've been my son in the faith. Stay the course. Stay the course. Play the man. Do what you're supposed to do. The gifts that God has given you, be faithful with that. There's going to be a lot of guys that start out like you, and they're going to go the way of everybody else. The problem in the modern church in America is they've departed from the word. Oh, I'm not saying they don't use the word. Some of them do, some of them don't. But they try to twist the word into whatever it is they're wanting to talk about, instead of staying in the context. That's why it's so important, guys. Context. Stay in the context. The context will help you stay away from that error. And it will help you in staying away from apostasy. Because I'm going to tell you what. That video I played you from Crossroads Church, that church is apostate. It's as apostate. I don't have to know everything that's going on. I can tell you by what they're showing the people right there. It's as apostate as Rome is. Except, it's not as devilish as Rome is, because Rome tries to hide its apostasy behind its rhetoric and its Bible. These guys are just doing whatever they want to do out there. It's apostate. Are you in a church like that? As humbly and as strongly as I can admonish you, get out of it. Get out of it. You are putting yourself and your family under judgment by being in such a place. You really are. You really are. But be sure to let the guys know, the pastors, why you're leaving. And point them to the Word. Maybe God might use it to convert them. Maybe. But if not, He's going to bring judgment on them. His Word doesn't return void, folks. 
It does what it is sent to do, and that is either to give grace to the hearer or it is to harden them in their sin. One or the other, it's not, there's no in-between here. It's to do one or the other. It's to soften them by grace or it is to harden them in their sin. Which one are you today? Are you hardened in your sin or do you hear the voice of God? And if you hear His voice, the Bible says don't harden your heart. Submit to Him. In fact, I would say if you're hearing his voice and he's actually doing the work in you, the submitting is just, resistance is futile. Let me put it that way. Resistance is futile when the Lord has his finger on you. It's it's just futile. You will not resist him. Why? Because he has the power of life and death. And when he calls your name and he says, come forth out of the grave, guess what you do? You come forth and you live and you breathe. You have faith. You have repentance. You put your trust in Him. And you know what? You've got nothing to boast about except the one who brought you out of the grave. That's it. And that's who we give glory to is our Lord Jesus Christ, the one who gave Himself for sinners, and the Father who sent Him in order that we might be redeemed back into Him, we might be reconciled into Him, and we might live out the truth of the gospel. Guys, have a great day. Bradley be with you at 3. Uh, we'll be back in the morning. Lord William and Kate Shimrani, 8 a.m. Continue to pray for her. Uh, I've got some messages. Things have kind of taken a little downturn, but they're, they're still moving ahead. And uh, keep her and her daughter in your prayers. And then we'll see you in the morning. Lord willing, 8 a.m. Talk to you then.